Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. Today's episode is for patients with neurogenic bladder who are dealing with UTIs. We welcome Dr. Katie Forster and Dr. Christina Ho, who will discuss UTIs and when to treat or not to treat the symptoms that accompany UTIs. And now, Bladder Buzz. Welcome to Bladder Buzz. I'm Dr. Katherine Forster, pediatric hospitalist at UPMC's Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. This episode of Bladder Buzz focuses on urinary tract infections. Joining us today is Dr. Christina Ho, pediatric urologist at Children's National Medical Center and the co-director of the Spine Bifida Clinic. We're excited to have you back with us today. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for having me back on again. I'm excited to be here today and to talk about a very common problem in urology. The topic today is urinary tract infections, or UTIs, and how to know when to treat them. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic, as this is something I think about a lot in my work as a hospitalist. So let's start off with talking about the concept of a UTI. In people who did not have a neuropathic bladder, how do we think about UTIs? So urinary tract infections are a clinical diagnosis in which patients have typically symptoms of dysuria, which is burning or pain when you urinate, sometimes hematuria, which is blood in the urine, sometimes malodorous or smelly urine, and sometimes fever, as well as abdominal or flank pain, but it really requires a positive urine test for diagnosis. There are usually two urine lab tests we can get to see if there is a urine infection. One is called a urinalysis, which can be a quick test to identify if there are any white blood cells, inflammation markers, or bacteria within the urine. A second test is a urine culture, in which the urine is actually incubated for up to two days to see what kind of bacteria grows. The first test can help to confirm whether or not there's an infection, but the second test is really the most helpful in identifying what bacteria are actually growing and what antibiotics can be used to treat them. For children who are not potty trained, usually we recommend a catheterized urine sample to be obtained as this is the most accurate way to ensure that there's no contamination of the specimen. This isn't always possible though, so sometimes a bag specimen is used and that's where a bag is placed over the perineum in order to catch the pee. But in children who are potty trained and in adults, they can either have a clean catch specimen or a catheterized urine specimen. So there's different definitions um, in both children and adults, but in children, we use the definition that's proposed by the American Academy of Pediatrics, in which a positive urine culture is identified as more than 50,000 colony-forming units in a sterile specimen, obtained either by catheterization or by a suprapubic aspirate, or more than 100,000 colony-forming units in a clean, voided specimen. And a positive urinalysis is considered greater than just trace nitrites, or leukocyteesterases, or more than five white blood cells in a urine specimen. For patients with a neurogenic bladder, a UTI is often defined as a positive urinalysis and a positive urine culture, as well as a fever more than 100.4. So what about adults? Is there a difference in how you define UTI in children versus adults? Definitely. In adults without a neuropathic bladder, clinicians often treat based on the presence of symptoms. In those with a neuropathic bladder, that definition can become a lot trickier. The Infectious Disease Society of America usually defines a UTI in people who use catheters as the presence of symptoms or signs compatible with UTI in addition to a positive urine culture. 
and the signs and symptoms that could suggest a UTI in adults who require catheterization can include new onset or worsening of fever, rigors, altered mental status, malaise, lethargy with no other identified cause, flank pain, acute hematuria, which is blood in the urine, pelvic discomfort. And in those who do not have catheters or who do not use catheters, it can be dysuria, urgent or frequent urination, or suprapubic pain or tenderness. Cloudy or smelly urine alone doesn't necessarily count as a symptom by itself, but the IDSA or the Infectious Disease Society of America doesn't include white blood cells in the urinalysis as a marker of a UTI, unlike in the pediatric population, since people who catheterize or adults who catheterize may always have white blood cells in the urine, and so this is less likely an indicator of infection. So if I understand you correctly, a UTI in people without neuropathic bladder can be diagnosed by a combination of symptoms, signs of inflammation in the urine, and the growth of bacteria on the urine culture. How is this different in people with neuropathic bladders? So in patients with neuropathic bladder, um, which basically means that the bladder doesn't store or empty urine in a safe way, they often require intermittent catheterization with a catheter in order to help empty their bladder. So even though this is done using a clean technique, it often results in colonization of the urine in the bladder. However, just because their urine has chronic bacteria, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something harmful or pathologic. Because of this, even in the absence of symptoms, patients who undergo intermittent catheterization may end up having a positive urine culture or growing a significant amount of bacteria in their urine. So if people with neuropathic bladders often both have positive urine cultures, how do you know when this is due to a UTI? Is there a way that a UTI can be accurately defined in people with neuropathic bladders? So this can be really challenging because a lot of times these patients have, you know, colonization of their bladder. So that means that there's bacteria growing in their bladder that isn't necessarily harmful. One way to look at it is to see if they're having a fever or what would be considered as more serious symptoms that would connote an infection that their body is trying to fight against. We define urine infections as a positive culture in addition to symptoms. And in patients with neurogenic bladder, that positive symptom is typically a fever, since they may not have normal sensation to say that they are having dysuria or urinary frequency, and they may not even have the feelings of lower abdominal or back pain. So if there's no way to accurately define a UTI in a person with a neuropathic bladder, how do you know when someone needs treatment? Well, another discerning laboratory value that we um, have been using recently and something that we can get in addition to the urine test and in addition to the urine culture is actually a blood test that's called procalcitonin. When this blood test is elevated, it's very specific for a kidney infection that should be treated. Okay. So you mentioned um, treatment of UTIs with antibiotics. What happens if someone isn't treated with antibiotics with the UTI? What are the consequences of that? So if anyone truly has a urine infection and has those clinical symptoms that we talked about with a positive urine culture, it's not something that's going to go away on its own. Um, a lot of people think that if they hydrate more or maybe if they drink more cranberry juice, maybe it will go away, but typically it doesn't if it's really a true urine infection. So it needs to be treated or they could get very sick. They can um, start to have a widespread response to this infection in their body, and the bacteria in the urine can actually travel into the blood as well if it's left untreated. So if patients can get really, really sick from having an untreated UTI and not starting antibiotics, is there a downside to starting antibiotics every time someone with neuropathic bladder has a symptom that might be due to a UTI? 
That is a great question, Katie. (laughs) And unfortunately, there is a downside, which is why diagnosis and treatment of UTIs is very nuanced. So constipation and holding your urine in children can sometimes contribute to recurrent infections also. And if a patient has multiple infections all the time, even if they don't necessarily have a fever, but they get treated for every infection because they have symptoms of dysuria or frequency and they have a positive culture, then this can lead to development over time of antibiotic-resistant organisms. And over time, this results in infections that could require stronger, primarily intravenous antibiotics to treat and require a hospital stay. So this is why it's particularly important in patients who have a neurogenic bladder to be really judicious and careful about what we are classifying as a urinary tract infection and when to treat them. Are there any alternatives, given the fact of the overuse of antibiotics leading to resistance, as you mentioned, is there any other ways that UTIs can be treated other than with antibiotics? There are certainly some ways to help prevent urinary tract infections, especially in a population of patients who are going to be catheterizing very frequently. But for actual urinary tract infections, the only real treatment is antibiotics. So what advice do you have for people who have neuropathic bladder who have symptoms that may be due to a UTI? I think that the most important thing for patients to know is that keeping a happy and healthy bladder means that it needs to cycle in a normal way. And that means that the urine needs to come out on a regular schedule every few hours, whether that means time voiding, meaning, you know, making sure that you're going to the bathroom every three or four hours to try to pee, or whether that means catheterizing in order to get the urine out. Um, It's important to be on a schedule and to make it a priority in order to help prevent urinary stasis and prevent infections. And also, I want to stress that everything is really interconnected when you're talking about the bladder and recurrent infections. And what that means is that having daily bowel movements is also integral to keeping a healthy bladder. If you feel like you're having a urine infection, then you should go to your primary care doctor also and have a catheterized sample sent, and then possibly have the blood test drawn that I spoke about before, which is the procalcitonin level. And for the clinicians who are listening, what advice do you offer clinicians who may see people with neuropathic bladder and how can they manage their UTIs? So I would say that just because a patient is having a fever or abdominal pain doesn't necessarily mean that they have an infection, especially for these patients who are a little more complicated and who have neuropathic bladders. Fever in these patients could also mean that there is an issue maybe with their VP shunt if they have one, or they have a respiratory illness or virus. But it's important that it's in the differential and that their urine gets checked as part of the workup for their fever. And then a procalcitonin level can also help to discern if it's really a kidney infection that's the source of the symptoms. And if clinicians who have patients with neuropathic bladder who have multiple recurrent febrile urine infections, then this points to those patients needing more workup. So they need to find out, you know, what could be causing these infections and how it could be affecting their kidneys. They may need urodynamics in order to understand the bladder dynamics and see how the bladder is working or see if there's any kidney scarring. So we've discussed that the treatment of UTIs is really difficult. And I know a little while ago, you mentioned there are some ways that people can prevent UTIs. Can you talk to us a little bit about those? So in patients who don't have a neurogenic bladder, this would include promoting healthy bowel and bladder habits. So this means having them urinate every couple hours, every three to four hours during the day, and trying not to hold your urine for a long time, and also increasing your water intake so that you would want to pee 
every three or four hours. Um, it also means helping to prevent constipation. And, you know, an easy way to do that is incorporating more fiber into your diet. Increasing your water intake will help with that too. And sometimes, you know, you can take Miralax if if really there is a problem with constipation, with the goal being of having daily soft-formed bowel movements. So for patients with neurogenic bladder, it specifically means being really consistent with catheterizing because we want to continue to promote that healthy, normal cycle of the bladder and keep the bladder empty on a regular schedule, as well as treating any constipation. In addition to this, sometimes we can prescribe cranberry supplements. Sometimes these can help to prevent certain bacteria from attaching to the lining of the bladder, or we can prescribe irrigation of the bladder with an antibiotic solution. Well, it definitely sounds like UTIs and people with neuropathic bladders can be a complex issue. So we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about that today. Thanks again for joining us, Christina. We really appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you, Katie. And thank you to you all for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you next week on another episode of Bladder Buzz. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.